Hello and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get On Board Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a dry topic. So I'm bringing you valuable, easy to digest information on board and company director related topics, concepts and ideas in 30 minutes or less. Whether you're looking to join a board or thrive in the boardroom, this podcast is designed just for you. My name is Lisa Cook and I'm your host. As founder and managing director of Get On Board Australia, I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. Welcome back to another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. It is great to have you here. Well, we are all in the situation where we are learning to lead through a global pandemic and deep and sudden economic crisis. There is no playbook for us as board members to follow. However, there are likely better ways for us to lead through this current situation and for us as board members to continue to add value to our boards, to understand what the best boards and best board members are doing now. I reached out to Julie Garland McClellan. Julie is a world-renowned expert on boards, governance, and how directors can build better organisations. She's published dozens of articles in top-tier academic and business journals, has written and presented the Australian Institute of Company Directors' highest-rated courses and featured in mainstream media such as ABC News, Sky News, The Fin Review, The Financial Times and many more. Julie is the internationally acclaimed author of multiple books, including All Above Board, with the third edition underway, and it has also been translated into Mandarin, and Not-for-Profit Board Dilemmas. She often keynotes major conferences and events, as well as hosting thought-provoking director education and strategy workshops for boards. Her most prominent role is as the CEO of the Director's Dilemma, which is the world's most widely read director's newsletter. Importantly, Julie serves on boards and has experience as a director as well as an advisor for boards in the not-for-profit, government and commercial sectors, including ASX 200 listed companies. In today's conversation, Julie and I talk about what the best boards are doing right now, what's on their agenda and how are they spending their time, what boards can do to support the organisation in the short to medium term future, what's on their strategy agenda and how can boards start looking forward to recovery um, and what's next and taking advantage of the opportunities that are out there. We make a point of clarification around the short-term changes of the insolvent trading liabilities for directors and make some 
other interesting observations around boards that are managing through the COVID crisis. Now, I just want to touch on the sound issues that you may come across in this episode. I apologize in advance. Like many of us, we recorded this via Zoom and there are brief moments of lag that you will encounter. These only last for a few seconds, so I appreciate you bearing with them. Uh, Other than that, I hope you enjoy the episode and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Reach out via getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast. Julie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks, Julie. Let's jump right into it. I am really, really keen to know what are the best boards doing right now? What's on their agenda? How are they spending their time? I think the very best boards right now, the number one thing on their agenda is employee safety. Mm-hmm. And the best boards will be putting that front and centre and ahead of everything else, including organisation survival. There is no sense trying to keep your company alive if you're going to kill your people. So that would be the number one thing from the good boards. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that should be on the agenda, the crisis plan and the business continuity plan. Um, by now, they should have been adapted to suit the current crisis. Um, people should be well-versed in how they're implementing them and and how the new controls and the new escalation processes work. Um, The board itself could well get out from underneath management's feet at this point. We've been in crisis now for several weeks. Mm -hmm. So I would expect the board to have the plan implementation well in hand with management and to be bothering themselves with scenario planning war room tactics, um, really mapping out the terrain, applying that foresight and insight that good boards are supposed to do, as well as the oversight. Um, They should certainly be looking at their communication plans and making sure that they know who to talk to, what to talk about, and how often, and what are the best channels for reaching each of those different audiences. Um, They should have got a very good system for staff to come up with good suggestions about the changes that would make their working arrangements more effective. Nobody really thoroughly thought through every last detail of this. So it's the people on the front line who are going to find the things that could be changed. So the board needs to make sure that there are processes that will allow those suggestions and ideas to be capitalised upon. Even if you're a not-for-profit, you could act like a capitalist on ideas. Um, And then particularly they should be looking at the latest public health directions, the rules, the restrictions, the shutdowns, making sure that they are complying. They should have very good um, scenario plans and financial plans, budget reforecasts. Remember, there's one budget but you can reforecast as often as you like. Mm-hmm. And in particular, you should be doing like a startup and really understanding how long is my runway? How long can this organization survive if people stop paying us? How long can it survive if we have to stop operating? 
Um, do we understand our staff pay and leave provisions? Do we understand and have really good guidelines around what we need to do? Um, by now, they should have the remote work pretty much under control. Um, they should certainly be sure that they've got their privacy and their cyber security under control. They should have reviewed their contracts or they should have made sure management's reviewed contracts to establish what their risks are and when they can invoke force majeure if they want to. Um, and they should really be asking management, what now do you need from us to help? Um, making sure that they're not asking too many reports and therefore that the board is being a benefit and not a burden. Absolutely. That would be um, my short little agenda. Yeah, very short. <laughs> very short, but I, I couldn't resist explaining some of the things. If I just ran through it, you'd probably find that that was a about a 12-point agenda, which most boards should be able to get through. Yeah. So do you find that then every meeting, so let's presume our, our board is meeting monthly, that we're going over those 12 points every month? Um, in some way, shape or form, yes. I mean, some may not be relevant to you um, and many will have been covered by the CEO's report or the management reports that the board receives. So really it's a question of the director's um, as various courts of law have pointed out, making sure that they are adding their own independent review and analysis to what they're given and having that list at the back of their minds so that whatever's missing is what they ask about and assure themselves on. Mm, absolutely. And that's no different in crisis or not in crisis. <laughs> no, it's not, although the list might change. Absolutely. Now, I know you did mention to get out from underneath management's feet. Yes. <laughs> However, I'm really interested to know what boards can be doing um, maybe now or looking into the short and medium-term future to help that organisation sort of ride that next wave. Um, I think one of the things that the board can be doing right now is getting into the information flow and making sure that the relevant managers have access to the relevant information. So really quite important for the board to make sure that they're getting good information from quality um, information sources, credible sources, the government, the, the relevant departments, um, global authorities, people with real credentials, you do not want your organisation running from information on social media at this point in time. You, you want to make sure that you're getting the good stuff. Um, and there's so much information and so much is changing that when you've got a management team that's busy running the company, as a board, one of the things you can do is say, right, well, this director will look at this source, this director will keep tabs on that source, the board themselves, without any need for management, can get together maybe once a week for a 10-minute conversation on what's new in each of the different areas that are relevant to us. And then following that, the chair who should be talking probably at this stage at least twice a week with the CEO would be well-equipped and well-briefed to say to the CEO, by the way, here are some ideas for the management team. 
So it's that question of using the proper change of chain of command, using the proper structures that you've created. Um, and then the other thing is to make sure it's so tempting when this is happening to ask for reports. Yes. But management are busy. So only ask for the reports that you really need and make sure that you are building systems that will generate the reports for you, not asking management to keep going back and generating from scratch. Mm, Absolutely. And I wonder whether that might continue on that trend of recognising that asking for reports, asking for information from management takes them away from doing their job. Yes, And, yeah, I did this myself. I was involved in turning around old fields quite a few years ago now. But in the very early stages when Westpac was talking to us uh, several times a week about the state of our overdraft um, and our ability to at least make minimum payments of interest, if not Mm -hmm. return any principal, um, when you're in that sort of situation, we were meeting weekly And we discovered very quickly that the poor CEO and CFO were spending so much time just pulling together the papers for our meetings um, and then managing the minutes of our meetings that we had to say, right, let's just take a deep breath here. Mm. We think we're on the right track. We've got a strategy. Let's go to two weeks. And then let's go to monthly but with a phone hookup in the second week so it's not really a meeting but it's a touch base mm-hmm. and gently get ourselves back onto a schedule um, the average board is requiring from the ceo and the ceo's direct reports about 20 percent of their time under normal circumstances um, so for a not-for-profit where board members aren't paid the cost of your board is not zero it's about the cost of two full-time CEO direct reports because most CEOs have about five direct reports. Um, Wow. Yeah, wow. You're looking at about a million dollars a year in management time cost to support a good board. Wow. I doubt many organisations are running those sorts of calculations. No, and this is one of the reasons why it's such a false economy not to train your board, not to invest in good processes, not to invest in board performance reviews and improvement, because a small improvement in board process can lead to a big freeing up of executive time, which is then immediately applied to the business. Yeah. Yes, a well-behaved and well-performing board is a major asset. Oh, absolutely. I love that. I love that. <laughs> oh, I can send you through the research if you like. Or in fact, what I'll do is I'll give you a link to it so that everyone on the podcast can click through below and read the white paper if they wish. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Julie. Um, so I wanted to sort of jump back a little bit. Thinking about um, boards looking forward, what do you see are on the, the strategy agendas of boards at the moment? Well, the really good ones will be looking and saying, can I make hay whilst this um, particular sun is shining? So if you are, for example, reasonably cashed up, Or if you simply have a bigger appetite for risk, you may well find that there are boards out there that are going, you know what, 
this is all too hard. We just want out. Um, and so I, I've heard of a few startups that have taken over companies that five, six weeks ago were considered competitors, and they've taken them on for a dollar. Wow. Because they've taken on, of course, the liabilities Mm. Um, but it is that sort of thinking of how confident are we in our ability to govern this? How confident are we in management's ability to manage it? And therefore, are there opportunities out there where people who don't have our confidence and our governance strength are willing to cede some ground that's valuable to us? Mm. So the really good boards, um, and it's not just the small startups, um, was it Webjet that just did a, um, a very large capital raising, very aggressive, very aggressively priced? Yes, their backs were to the wall, but my goodness, mm-hmm. um, what's it they say? In a cat fight, it's the one that's on its back that's going to win. Um, <laughs> right. That's cool. Never heard that one. <laughs> no. Oh, you've obviously never had cats. No. <laughs> <laughs> my father used to breed Siamese cats as a whole. Oh, there you go. Okay. Is there anything else that, that they're looking at strategically? So taking advantage of opportunities that are out taking, there. Yeah. Absolutely. Taking um, advantage of opportunities, um, making sure that their own business plan is actually operating as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, being aware of changes in consumer behavior and societal conduct. I am um, people's ideas of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate will be subtly changed as we come out of this. So the best boards will be the ones that have looked at those changes, worked out the directionality and the trends, and started to position their companies to be well located with whatever emerges on the other side. Um, so they'll be revisiting their business model. They'll be looking at their capabilities and skills. They'll be looking at, can we adapt something? Can we start instead of making alcohol and selling homemade gin, can we start making hand sanitizer instead? Um, they'll be looking to consolidate. Um, can we cut down any of our pieces of our business that aren't profitable? Um, can we use this time to put some attention on shutting them down or turning them around? Can we expand? Can we partner with other organizations? Can we pick up some new customers whose suppliers Mm. may not be as on the ball as we are? And do we need to protect our own company customers? Um, Do we need to make sure that nobody's poaching on our patch? So really quite important to, um, to look through that and to keep updating those scenarios make sure that you really understand what could happen, what would trigger that, what would be the KPIs that would tell you that it was happening and what would be your response if it really did happen. Mm. Critical questions uh, definitely right now, uh, but why aren't we asking these all the time? Oh, it's a very good question. I was talking the other day to um, one of my favourite, very insightful tax accountants Um, And yes, the words insightful and tax accountant are not an oxymoron. And she was saying, I've got so many customers or so many clients because she refers to them as clients, of Of course. course. (laughs) Of course. Um, But I've got so many clients and they've been making profits for the last 20 years and they can't cope with a two-month setback. 
Mm. Um, why are they structured in a way that they've got so little resilience? Um, there was a wonderful book called Anti-Fragile um, by a gentleman whose surname is Talib. Um, very good book all about building resilience, building strength, building capability, and not folding at the first sign of adversity. So, yes, it's a very good question. Why is your company struggling now yep. um, already when we've only really been in the crisis for four weeks yep. in Australia? Why is it such a big issue for you? if you've been making profits for the last 15 years, because if you can put your finger on that and you can sort that now whilst the rest of the world is not out there stealing your customers, then you will come out the other side with a stronger and better business, a better understood business and a business that's um, more resilient for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Big questions to ask. Yes, they are. I really like that. And while we're on the question of money, there's a point of clarification that I wanted to um, see if we can address for all of the board members out there. And that's around the short-term changes to the insolvency liabilities for directors. Are you able to break that down really simply? Okay, I think the simple thing is, um, I mean, government is passing new legislation as fast as it can. But my understanding is that has changed in um, very quickly is the regulators have said that they will not take action unless there is significant risk of harm, there is clear evidence of deliberate wrongdoing, Um, there is a disruption to the orderly and efficient functioning of the markets. Um, So very important. You need, if you are going to have any hope of claiming safe harbour or business judgment, to be very clear that what you were doing was in the best interests of the organisation, that you had considered all of the stakeholders and we're moving to minimise harm to create a better outcome than going into VA at this moment, um, that you were being very, very careful and very correct that you'd got a viable plan, Mm -hmm. and viable doesn't have to mean it's got a greater than 50% chance of success. Mm -hmm. It just means that it's a reasonable plan and that you are working on it, that you're monitoring the implementation of it, you're adapting it as you go, and you are really fulfilling that due diligence. Um, And if you look at sections 180 to 184, these are the sections of the Corporations Act where the word reasonable crops up quite a few times. Um, And it's what a reasonable person would expect you to do given the circumstances of the organisation And given the likely access to information, the likely access to resources. So there's no single standard. The standard moves depending on what a reasonable person would think was a reasonable degree of diligence. Um, And lawyers get very wealthy arguing reasonable. Yes. Um, People think, oh, I've got a license here. I can go out and I can um, trade whilst I'm insolvent. Um, No. 
that do not read it that way. That is not the intent. The intent is to give decent companies a chance of survival. It is not to give indecent directors a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm. And if they think you are acting in bad faith, the regulators and the courts will come after you. As they should. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but it, it, you can appreciate why this was brought in when it's so hard for for anyone to look forward and to know what the future holds. Everyone's just trying to make a best guess, best assumption, given the circumstances, given the, the government support available, and the rest is a bit of a cross your fingers and hope it all turns out yes. as you think it will. Yes, very much. And there are a, a lot of organisations that really don't know how it's going to turn out um, and that really are taking it day by day. Um, so very important for the boards and indeed the management team because officers have duties too, mm-hmm. to make sure you document, make sure that somebody, even if it's only handwritten on a scrap of paper, writes down, these are the things we considered this is why we made the decision. This is why we thought it was going to be a better outcome. Because even if you make the wrong decision, it's not illegal to make the wrong decision. Mm. It's illegal to negligently make the wrong decision. And in fact, it can be illegal to make the right decision for the wrong reasons. Yes. <laughs> this is, this is the dilemma, right? You're the director yes. dilemma uh, guru. And, and that has to be one of the sort of foremost dilemmas that we as board members face every day. Yes. And so, I mean, if you look at, for example, Flight Centre, the major capital raising, and the three biggest shareholders who were also quite involved in the governance got very um, substantially diluted. Mm. Now, if they had done this with a view of reducing their control in the organisation or with a view of giving somebody else more control and the retail shareholders less control, that would have been illegal. Mm-hmm. If they, because they really felt the organisation needed to have a lot of money available right now because they couldn't see very far into the future, that's legal. Mm. The same action but two different reasons. So it is quite important to document your reasons Um, And the other thing, if you look at the ASX, they have been allowing companies to take back their earnings guidance Mm -hmm. and say, yes, you know, we said we were going to come in within 5% of this number. But actually, no, the future has changed. Our plans are going to replacement number. All we're doing is saying that if we hit that one, it's going to be a pure fluke. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's the best you can do. And it is much, much better to be honest about the limitations of your planning and to allow shareholders to make their own decisions about whether they retain their shares, whether they top up or whether they sell down. Mm. That is to try to put a line in the sand when you know the tide is going to come in and wash it away. Mm. Yeah, tough times. Tough Very times. tough times, but this is when you really need a good board. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 100%. They pay for themselves in times like these, uh, even when they're volunteer, (laughs) as we've learned. Especially when they're volunteer. And again, some of the um, larger boards that we've seen taking pay cuts, 
Um, we've seen boards take pay cuts of up to 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, boards waive their salary until further notice. So boards are doing what they can to help to shoulder the burden. Mm-hmm. So what are some other observations that you're seeing right now on various boards as they work through this COVID-19 time? I think the first one is that the current communication via video link is not as good as face-to-face, physically co-located conversations. Mm -hmm. As human beings, our brains light up far more when we are with another person than they do when we are viewing that person on a screen, even if we can talk to them and hear them and see them in real time. Our brain does not perceive them in the same way. So boards that were struggling with being cohesive, with forming a really good decision-making team, and board teams are hard Mm. because we need that independence as well as that team player and team mentality So to get a group decision out of a group of independent people, um, you do need a very cohesive team. So boards that were reasonably cohesive are finding that now that they're making, first of all, the decision stakes are higher, and secondly, the value of the communication they're able to access is lower, um, some boards are fighting themselves. Mm. Uh, I know of one board... Um, where somebody mentioned that there was a risk that shareholders would suggest something and immediately two of the other directors, oh, well, that's that's defamatory. How dare you suggest we'd be up? It's like, no, (laughs) shareholders can accuse you of all sorts of things. They could accuse you of eating donkey sausages if they wish, Um, even if you were on the board of Vegans Australia. To say that there is a risk of this is not defamation. But if you don't even consider the risk, then if it eventuates, you are in trouble because you won't have formulated a response Mm -hmm. and you won't have properly documented your decision-making, your processes. But it's a very good example of a board that thought they were cohesive, that thought they were agreed. And by the way, it's not the board of any of the vegan (laughs) not-for-profit organizations, I shall for profit, um, but it's it's just a very good example of how a board that's not really operating as a cohesive team, when the pressure comes up and the ability to communicate and to get those non-verbal communications happening is reduced, the board starts to fall apart under the pressure. Mm. So I think quite important for a lot of boards, I've noticed quite a few of my boards we're having, we think we're going to have shorter meetings because we're online, but actually, no. Usually when we have an online meeting, it's for one or two decisions that had to be made at a certain time and we couldn't physically get together. Having our normal board meeting online, we actually find because you have to be much more pedantic about going and asking every person and every person contributing to the discussion the meetings themselves are taking quite some time. Um, it means that the chairmanship or the chairing skill uh, to try and move away from the possible gender inferences in that word, <laughs> the chair's skill is so much more important. 
um, making sure that on every big decision you go around the table, you get all the views for, all the views for, against, um, all the, um, the nuances, and then that everybody feels that they've participated in the decision. It takes time. It means you have to then structure your meeting so that you take breaks. Um, I find that 55 minutes and then five minutes for another cup of coffee or another cup of tea and mm. 30 star jumps, uh, <laughs> whatever. But it just allows you to get, whereas when you're physically co-located, a lot of boards will sit and they will just sit for a three-hour meeting. Mm. Doing that in front of a screen is actually much more tiring um, and much harder to concentrate. Mm. So managing that, managing the energy flows um, is another important thing. Um, documenting, mm. being very careful who is on and who is not on the line when you are talking, particularly if you, instead of a video conference, you have a telephone conference. Yeah. I had a teleconference the other day with a board and the whole company uses the same conference call number and the board meeting ran over. Uh -oh. So managers were dialing into the board meeting because they had booked the conference call immediately following the conclusion of... Oh, no. Um, so, again, little things like if you hear... Um, the tone that tells you that someone has dialed in, stopping the conversation, doing a roll call, um, making sure that you know who is on the line mm. and you get people coming in, even if they have booked the meeting after yours, saying, well, I'm sorry, this one hasn't finished. You're going to have to wait. You know, come back in 10, please. Mm. We want to finish this discussion and then close the board meeting and then readjourn at a time when the conference line's available to us again. But having people suddenly appear in your board meeting, if it happened in real life, you'd see them walk through the door. Yes. But yes. when it happens on a teleconference, all you hear are some clicks and bleeps. And so being very alert, particularly if, like many organisations at the moment, you are talking about reducing staff count. Mm. Um, because that is not the decision you want management to overhear the board discussing um, mm. at all. So being very aware of your technology, being very aware as well of who are the skilled people in your environment that your organisation is already desirous of hiring because they just might become available. Mm. And so I'm seeing a few organisations who are recruiting right now yeah. Um, and recruiting via video because they can't physically interview candidates, particularly candidates from Western Australia or um, indeed into any state. Yep. It's very hard for people to travel. But they had a list of these are the people that we would like in our senior management team or in our boardroom. And oh, there's a crisis. Oh, People are disbanding. Things are happening. Right, let's see if any of these people are available. And so I know of three or four boards that are busy recruiting right now. And again, that brings up the whole issue of is it reasonably diligent under these circumstances 
to appoint, for example, a new CEO mm. if you've not physically been in the same room with them. Yeah. Uh, and if you do feel that you want to appoint somebody to a senior position at this time only using video conference and teleconference, um, what are some of the um, strategies that you can use in terms of provisional periods, in terms of um, stepping up the reference checking, um, in terms of making sure that you've been properly diligent before making the appointment, and also that you've structured the appointment, um, particularly with directors. If you appoint a director, you have to go back to the shareholder to remove them or the shareholders um, or the members if you're a not-for-profit. So the board might be able to appoint to a casual vacancy, but they cannot sack a director. Mm. So if you put someone on right now, you could be sitting with them for a year before the next AGM, and then you could have the very embarrassing situation where at that AGM you ask your members not to vote on the board member that you appointed. Um, and there are various things that you can do to help get around this. Um, you can appoint the person as a consultant to the board, assuming that you don't need them um, because you're running into quorum problems. And again, then you have to change your board processes because now you've got somebody in the board meeting who is not a director, who is not taking part in decisions, who could very easily be made to look like a shadow director who will not be insured mm -hmm. because you can't insure shadow directors or people who act as directors without having been validly appointed. Mm. Uh, you can only find them liable for the things they did whilst they were. So it is quite important to think through the ins and outs to um, get proper governance advice because it is a specialist area, but certainly don't hold back from making recruitment or appointment decisions simply because you are restricted to video technology it might just be the time when you can get people that you otherwise would not get. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of those other opportunities to take advantage of. Definitely, absolutely. very definitely. Well, Julie, thank you so much. Um, very extremely insightful um, information and would I say advice or suggestions <laughs> that you're sharing um, observations? I thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a couple things. So thank you so much for that. If people want to reach out with you directly and connect with you, how do they do that best? Um, probably the best way would be to look for me on LinkedIn. I am the only Julie Garland McClellan on LinkedIn and I'm also billed as a boardroom expert. So Julie Garland, McClellan, boardroom expert, I should be fairly easy to find. Um, also um, visit my website, www.directorsdilemma.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter there. One of the things that I do like to do is to give very practical advice rather than theoretical, academic, or legalistic advice. Um, and so I tend to approach things from, if this is the situation in your boardroom, here are some ideas that might help you to manage it. Because every board is quite different. They have mm. different people, different situation, different industries, different sizes, different financial strengths, different preferences. Um, so 
I find that my newsletter, which is based around real life case studies every month, um, really does seem to please quite a few people. And it's the way in which I approach my consulting. It's all about helping the directors do the best they can. Yeah. And it's fantastic, full of really um, practical advice, like you said, practical suggestions. Um, And we'll certainly put the links to those in our show notes so that people can get to you much easier as well. But thank you so much again for joining me today, Julie. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. You've reached the end of another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. Connect with us at getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast, where you can leave your requests for future guests and topics to cover. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive information and resources to help you thrive in the boardroom. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes or your preferred podcast listening app to subscribe, rate and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.